Hi, I'm your host, Kimberly Thomas-Tigg, and you're listening to Signalize, a Dazzle for Rare podcast. Whether you're a patient, advocate, caregiver, or a clinician, Signalize is your source for good news, personal stories, events, and the things that Rare and associated communities care about. Follow Signalize and Dazzle for Rare at D-A-Z-Z-L-E, the number four, R-A-R-E, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where we'll post episode links, updates, and more. Finally, spooky season is here. If you're like me, you love spooky season. Yes! Whether it is pumpkin spice lattes or pumpkin spice literally anything, the fun decorations, or as I say in our home, year-round decor, (laughs) or the chance to dress up as a fun character or make up a character, it is a great time for you to express your creativity, both in your home and outside of your home, if you're doing so safely, or if you're doing so at all this year. So today, we're going to cover a few items from tips for a happier, healthier, and safer Halloween, and a more inclusive Halloween, some problematic horror films, some rare disease role models who act in scary or spooky movies and television shows, and some other resources for you to enjoy this spooky season. So stay tuned to Signalize, a Dazzle for Rare podcast. Representation does indeed matter. We resonate with folks who look like us or who have common struggles, which makes celebrities and folks in the public eye so important for rare, chronically ill, and disabled communities. When celebrities are open about their conditions, it helps us to see ourselves and also see what might be possible for us. Now, the sky isn't always the limit, and often with rare conditions, people engage differently with the world. And alongside our conditions, we often have other hurdles, such as comorbidities like epilepsies, other common conditions, autoimmune conditions, metabolic conditions, mental health struggles, and so much more. It may not always be easy to work with these when it comes to rare disease, and many of us find that we may need some adaptations in order to achieve the goals that we set for ourselves. But seeing more rare, chronically ill, and disabled actors, not only in horror and sci-fi genres, but in the media in general, is awesome. So quickly, I wanted to mention Gaten Matarazzo. Gaten plays the character Dustin Henderson on the Netflix sci-fi horror show Stranger Things. Many of you may know Gaten as the adorable Dustin Henderson on Stranger Things, and Gaten in real life and Dustin on the show has a condition called cleidocranial dysplasia, or CCD. CCD is a rare genetic disorder that affects the development of bones, and in particular, the skulls and teeth. Gaten has been out in front about his CCD, advocating for increased awareness of the symptoms, which can include but aren't limited to underdeveloped collarbones, or in Matarazzo's case, a lack of collarbones. The condition also causes delayed closure of the skull fissures, curvature of the spine, hearing loss, and decreased bone density. Gaten shared in an interview that prior to Stranger Things, he was having difficulty landing acting roles because of his condition. It's hard to imagine because he's such a talented young man, and he is personally one of my favorites, um, and especially Dustin is my favorite character from the show. But Gaten has been able to overcome some of those blocks by being cast in Stranger Things, even adding CCD to his character's backstory, increasing awareness of the condition. 
In season one, the show features a group of preteen boys, and they are very much the classic 1980s underdog archetype. The boys are all big D&D fans, so shout out to my tabletop gamers. In one episode, the character Dustin is being teased by other kids, and he says, I told you a million times, my teeth are coming in. It's called cleocladial dysplasia. (laughs) I hope I did that some justice. Dustin's character was not written with a visible condition. However, after casting Gaten, who has an adorable personality, this aspect of his character was added to the series. So undoubtedly, this addition came to the delight of many a young sci-fi horror fan or fans of nerd culture who, like Gaten, were born with CCD. Why did the ghost quit studying? Because he was too ghoul for school. <laughs> Out of a world of seven to 8,000 rare conditions, there's one condition that has played a huge role in film and television for decades, and that condition is Marfan syndrome. Marfan syndrome is characterized by its physical presentation, in which the person may be unusually tall and slender, has arms and fingers that are disproportionately long, they may have a protruding sternum. And dental differences, such as an arched palate or crowded teeth, these are some of the visible manifestations. It is a genetic variation, and it leads to issues with the connective tissues. If you have Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome or one of the Ehlers-Danlos Syndromes, you will resonate with the phrase issues with connective tissues or issues with my tissues. Marfan Syndrome and Ehlers-Danlos have some overlap and may sort of be side to side in differential diagnoses before a final diagnosis is made. Certainly, as we learn more about these conditions, clinical diagnosis is is much more accurate these days. Uh, It's important to say that these two connective tissue disorders are similar in some ways, but they are two distinct conditions. They may both include some degree of hypermobility and skin fragility. Uh, These characteristics, hypermobility and skin fragility, tend to be more pronounced in people with the Ehlers-Danlos syndromes. Of course, everybody varies. So in decades past, many of us would recognize the actor Vincent Chiavelli, just seeing him. You, You may not recall his name, but once I name some films he's been in, I think you'll probably know who I'm talking about. Vincent was in film roles such as the 1980s film Amadeus, the 1990s film The People vs. Larry Flint, and the 1999 film Man in the Moon, which incidentally is one of my favorite movies. While you may not recognize the name, as I said, you will certainly have recognized him from one of these films or from people frequently referring to him as the sad-faced actor. Vincent unfortunately passed away in 2005 from lung cancer. He had a career that spanned over 30 years, working in film and television, and featuring in nearly 100 movies and television shows. Even more than his success in Hollywood, he played a variety of characters in comedies and other genres, not just horror and sci-fi, making him perhaps the most prolific actor of our time with a rare condition. But as I said, Marfan syndrome has changed lives of several actors over the decades, making these actors sought after for their height, slender builds, and sometimes their hypermobility. Another example of Marfan syndrome in horror and sci-fi is the actor Javier Botet. Javier is a 45-year-old Spanish actor diagnosed with Marfan syndrome at the age of five. While some may see the roles offered to people with physical presentations of rare genetic conditions as exploitative, as they notoriously were through history, 
and especially entertainment history, Javier has made a career out of a combination of his physical presentation and his interest in performance. Starting in 2005, he's acted in several films, probably almost 25 to date, and has made several appearances in fantasy and sci-fi shows such as Star Trek Discovery and Game of Thrones. In 2019, Javier won the Time Machine Award at the Stigis Film Festival. The actual award is uh, in Spanish. The award name is in Spanish, but that's the translation. (laughs) I definitely could not pronounce the actual name of the award, but... Uh, The award is an annual award given to actors in the sci-fi and fantasy film genres for their work. Having just talked about this, am I the only person who's going to go back and look at uh, episodes of Discovery to see if I can spot Javier? I'm sure I'm not going to be the only one. What is a ghost's favorite dessert? Any guesses? Ice cream! So since I was a kid many years ago, pop culture has come a long, long way. That said, many of us will never forget the less positive side of movies and television when it came to depicting rare conditions. The reality for many genetic conditions is that they present with physical characteristics like Gaten Matarazzo's CCD uh, and his absence of collarbone or his missing upper teeth. People with these conditions that have a physical presentation have been historically exploited. A well-known example of this type of exploitation was Joseph Merrick, who is known to most people as the Elephant Man because of pop culture and the exploitation that he faced throughout his short life. I won't go into his personal history as there are many films, books, podcasts, and other media dedicated to telling his story. But he was one of the early examples of a human being with a rare condition having been exploited and mistreated and used by the entertainment industry. It should go without saying that this is full stop, not a good social standard. And clearly, we have come a long way. And in many ways, I think we can say we haven't quite come far enough. But full stop, no one should be exploited in the way that Joseph Merrick was. So we can't go back. We can look at these examples that I'm going to share with you in just a moment and find some ways to emphasize our personalities, creativity, and compassion and overcome the stigmas that are associated with visible conditions such as Marfan syndrome or conditions that may cause people to have other physical differences or to rely on things like mobility aids or other medical devices. While it was a different time and we can't go back, we can look at these examples that we're about to talk about and find some ways to emphasize uh, the human being's personality, their creativity, and their compassion in overcoming some of the negative stigmas associated with visible conditions. So here's just a few films and the actors who portrayed these characters. Rondo Halton, Acromegaly. In the 1946 film Brute Man, which I'm already cringing, listening to the name, an actor by the name of Rondo Halton played a man named Hal. Hal suffers a disfigurement in the film, causing him to become enraged and blame others for his disfigurement, killing them. The actor who played Hal, Rondo Halton, developed a condition called acromegaly. Acromegaly is a rare condition that causes the body to produce too much of the hormones that influence growth, causing tissues and bones to grow very quickly. While most people are diagnosed with this 
condition later in life, um, around 30s, 40s, 50s, it can affect people at any age because it's a hormonal imbalance associated with the pituitary gland. Rondo lived much of his life looking no different than most people that we see on the street. Younger pictures of Rondo, you probably wouldn't have looked at him twice walking down the street. He started his early life as an author, uh, writing for publications in the 1930s, and he served in World War I. During research for an article that he was writing after the war, he was spotted and hired as a film extra. This is about the time he started to experience the effects of acromegaly. After he was spotted as a film extra, he decided to move to Hollywood, where he pursued uh, a full-time career doing bit parts and uh, background work, which was often uncredited for his RKO studio roles. He was, and I use this term very lightly, promoted from an extra and a bit player to a quote-unquote horror star for a Sherlock Holmes film, where he played a character called The Creeper. Unfortunately, Rondo did not live a long life as he passed away from complications related to acromegaly in 1946. Rondo was known for his latent life distorted features for many years after his death, becoming a pop culture reference from the 70s into the 90s. In fact, in the 1991 film The Rocketeer, which I absolutely loved as a kid, just saying, now I'm thinking it's problematic, but in the 1991 film The Rocketeer, uh, one of the characters that is featured in the film had heavy prosthetics on his uh, face and body, which were meant specifically to mimic Rondo Halton's appearance. And while Rondo's story with this later onset condition that changed his life um, caused him to be exploited by Hollywood um, for cheap scares and for, you know, creating unhelpful stereotypes about what people with visibly obvious differences, um, what they're like, who they are as human beings. Um, While that was not helpful, his legacy does continue in a positive way with tributes from other authors and the release, um, I want to say in 2019, of a book titled Rondo Halton, Beauty Within the Brute. The actor Robert Zarr was born with a condition called cherubism. While this may sound cute to people, this condition can often cause the development of a large square jaw, which Robert very much had, and the condition can also cause benign tumor growth in people. Robert was in the fantasy horror film Soul Taker in 1990, and this is a film that he's considered being fairly well known for having been in. However, I looked up some other film and TV roles and I instantly recognized him. And I think if you do a quick Google search, you probably will too. Uh, Robert played many tough guy characters in B-movies over the years. Uh, but before he got into acting as a, as a largely B-movie actor, he tried a few other different careers from writing jingles for advertisements to exotic dancing. Spicy. But the call of Hollywood beckoned to Robert, and he appeared in several slasher films and played many villains. What ultimately stopped Robert's acting career was not his genetic condition of cherubism, but it was the many years of tough action stunts and a history of alcoholism. By the time Robert passed away, he had been in 121 films. That's a lot of movies. And 
undoubtedly, again, if you Google him, you will more than likely recognize him from at least one movie. Beloved B-movie actor and lifelong crush of mine, (laughs) Bruce Campbell, uh, wrote about his friend and his former co-star saying, Bob played a lot of bad guys, but he was a sweetheart. Safe travel, amigo. Where do ghosts buy their food? Well, of course, at the ghostery store. Duh! As time has marched on, what we once looked at with horror is now understood scientifically and medically as variations across the human spectrum. We now treat many conditions that have what some may consider an extreme or obvious physical presentation with surgeries or other types of therapies. It wasn't always this way, and while we have come a long way, and we really have come a long way in the last 50 years or so. We still see actors with conditions like Marfan syndrome pigeonholed into roles where they are best known for playing aliens, monsters, and killers. With the invention of CGI, it would be nice to see the horror genre that I enjoy so much and have enjoyed for a long time uh, transformed with computer-generated monsters, not actors who some might see as having a startling physical presentation. So actors like Rondo Halton and Robert Zarr may live on through their contributions to American cinema and to the genres of sci-fi, horror, uh, and B-films, but I hope their contributions will also help us realize that rare is everywhere. Say it with me, rare is everywhere. And people with these variations are not predisposed to being bad people, to being mean, or to being evil. Usually the worst monsters in our society are people who look like the guy next door, very much like the baseline killer or the BTK killer. I look forward to a day when actors with visible physical presentation of their condition are offered roles where they play characters that are more in line with who people with rare conditions are, and that's people. We all know the story of the Hunchback of Notre Dame, whether we've seen the Disney film or the darker depiction in the 1939 film. As common as the character is, kyphosis itself is also fairly common. I'm including it here because uh, it can be caused by many things, from wear and tear from aging. Um, It can be a complication of other conditions affecting the spine. It can be a congenital condition that babies are born with, um, having that curvature of the thoracic spine. I personally have uh, a mild degree of kyphosis or bowing of the thoracic spine. It can be very painful as the degree of curvature can obviously increase and start to put pressure on the internal chest organs like the lungs and the heart. It happens often, of course, in women, uh, as I said, people later in life, young people, uh, teenagers, babies, it can be a congenital condition. It can be a standalone condition, but it can come along as part and parcel of other conditions as well. In the case of young people who have really severe presentations of this condition, just like the character Quasimodo has a very obvious uh, presentation of kyphosis which is a spinal disease, these folks were hidden away just like Quasimodo. 
And people may sometimes still stop and stare when they see someone who is younger and has um, a more pronounced bowing of the thoracic spine. This, this, as I said, this condition isn't rare itself. Um, it can come with rare conditions too. But uh, in these days, in current modern times, it's treated with things like back braces, supports, Sometimes it's treated with surgeries, uh, especially in more severe cases, and uh, medications for pain relief. What kind of horse do ghosts ride? A nightmare! Halloween can be scary, but not for the reasons that you may think. Not because of ghouls and goblins on display or the haunted houses, but the intense sensory overwhelm. Not everybody experiences the outside world in the same way. Some folks in the rare, chronic, or disabled communities may experience visual, auditory, tactile, and other sensory experiences that make navigating Halloween difficult or altogether impossible. There are plenty of tips and tricks on the internet for having a better Halloween experience, so this is by no means an exhaustive list. If you're in the URCIID community, otherwise known as undiagnosed, rare, chronically ill, invisibly ill, and disabled community, uh, I'm not providing an exhaustive list. But I did want to share some things that stand out to me as being particularly relevant to many of these communities. Certainly, if I've missed things or you have tips and tricks that you would like to share, you can tag us on social media at D-A-Z-Z-L-E, the number four, Rare, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Pinterest, and share your tips and tricks with us so we can share them with others. You can also use the hashtag Dazzle, D-A-Z-Z-L-E, for Halloween to share these tips and tricks with others. So the first tip is to consider the sensory implications of where you're going to be going and to plan accordingly. This might mean keeping ear defenders handy or uh, those new earplugs that dampen sound but don't completely cut sound out. They still allow you to hear. I personally find these really useful 365 days a year, but even more so during festivities where there might be loud sounds or um, a lot of people Uh, They just dampen the sound just enough so that you can enjoy the experience and still hear, but it's not as overwhelming. Uh, Of course, be sure that you can hear adequately if you will be crossing roads or junctions. Tip number two, consider going out before dark. So I know it sounds less fun, but it can be helpful to go out before the sun sets with your little ghouls and goblins to make sure that they are clearly visible to other people. If you feel like you need to go out during the dark, consider wearing costumes that have high visibility reflectors or carrying a suitable light source like small flashlights that are reusable. Uh, You could use glow-in-the-dark body paint, nail polish, or other illuminators as well, or a combination of all of these actually. And for environmental reasons, I'm not recommending glow sticks because as much as many of us love them as kids, they are single use and unfortunately they're not a sustainable option. But there are loads of luminescent gadgets and gear that you can wear to stay visible and safe this year. Tip three is to make sure that whatever you wear, it fits well and it doesn't contribute to snags, falls, or other injuries. If you're dressing in something that is flowy or has a lot of cloth or a lot of attachments, give a a second thought to any mobility issues that that may cause for you or for someone with you. 
Uh, these costumes might contribute to snags, uh, such as getting caught in a wheelchair or snagging on other mobility devices. So just make sure that your mobility device or the mobility devices of those with you are clear of any of these extra pieces of cloth or extra attachments. Tip number four is to be mindful of obstacles. If you're going rogue and you're just trick-or-treating randomly in neighborhoods, uh, consider doing a trial run to see if there are any obstacles that might make your experience more difficult. An alternative is to trick-or-treat at your local mall, uh, local shops, or other public places or community centers where you're not going to a stranger's home and where these areas are well lit. If you really want to have the authentic experience and just go out to random houses, be mindful of your mobility aids, the potential sensory overwhelm uh, for houses that have loud sounds, that may have uh, motion detecting ghouls and goblins outside, projectors, and flashing lights. Tip number five, very similar to the above, know your route uh, or create a map ahead of time. So I was just touching on kind of knowing where you are, keeping in mind obstacles, but also you might want to think specifically about anyone you're with and whether they're comfortable in the area that you're going to. Uh, If you're really familiar with the area, but they're not, you might consider going with them for a trial run the day before or the week of just to make sure that you're able to navigate the area. It's best not to force yourself or others to take a route that has difficulties or that is unfamiliar or could pose issues for you. If you or your family or friends or child aren't comfortable with the route that you've planned, maybe consider making changes. Tip number six is to travel in packs. So with so much going on socially for so many people right now, it's a good idea to travel in your bubble if you can. This could be parents and a child, caregivers and a child or children, This could look like any combination for anyone, pretty much. But hopefully, traveling in a group will help you to increase your chances of staying safe and having assistance if you need it. And also, uh, I would say, travel in packs of more than two people, if possible. That way, if something happens, you don't have somebody overwhelmed trying to help a person alone. Um, Three people would be great. More people that's fantastic too. Just make sure that you all are being as safe as possible. And don't forget your mobile phone or some way to contact someone if you need extra assistance. Also, if you have any medications, um, emergency or rescue medications, maybe keep those in like a pouch or something or in a pocket with you so that you have those to hand if you need them for any reason, God forbid. Tip number seven, some will say trick-or-treat and some won't. Not everybody uses their mouths to speak. And I know that sounds odd, but it's true. Not everybody uses their mouths to speak. So we will have trick-or-treaters more than likely who um, are nonverbal or who are hearing impaired or may have other reasons for not saying trick-or-treat. So let's respect their circumstances and not try to force children or people to say trick-or-treat. So whether it's your child or someone else's child who comes to the door, don't try to force them to say anything if they aren't comfortable or aren't able. That ruins the fun for everyone. If you are with someone who's nonverbal or who isn't comfortable verbalizing and you're able to do it with their permission and they're happy for you to do that, then you can say trick or treat if you'd like. You can also do things like wear a lanyard that has trick or treat on one side and you can hold that up in lieu of actually saying trick or treat. 
Um, and let's not forget our manners. So if you put thank you on the other side of your lanyard, you can hold up trick or treat and then get your candy, flip it over and say thank you. Um, some people hold up signs or other things like that, and that's fine too. It's important to remember that it's nice to be nice. Tip number eight, allergies. If you have allergies, definitely be mindful. Some people are allergic to peanuts, gluten, and other allergens. Allergens can also be present in the Halloween costumes from stores, so it could be latex or other coatings or materials or paint found in costumes. Um, So if in doubt, just avoid it. Definitely check your labels to make sure that there isn't anything in the candy or in the costume or the makeup that could cause an allergic reaction to you or your loved one. And of course, always check candy for unwrapped candy or candy that looks like it's been tampered with. This has not changed in decades. So of course, continue to do that as well. And the final tip, I think this is tip number nine, keep a lookout for other people who have sensory issues or disabilities. So it may not be you or your loved one who has a sensory issue or a disability, um, but we are living in a much more inclusive and aware society. So definitely keep a lookout for other folks who may be nonverbal and are identifying what they want to communicate with signs or other items. You may see things like teal pumpkins outside of people's houses. These pumpkins are there to signify that they are giving away non-food items, such as small toys or other fun items. If you aren't able to take these things for any reason, then just avoid that house, to be honest. (laughs) You know, you don't have to go. Um, You can opt out of traveling to homes that have till pumpkins. There may be other visible signs or indicators that the home is mindful of sensory issues, allergens, and other things. So going back to planning your route, you can do a little bit of recon day before, a couple days before, and make note of any houses that have till pumpkins, have signs indicating that there's loud sounds or any sounds, any homes that you see that have flashing lights or that have things that might be problematic for you, you can just mark those off your route and avoid those houses altogether. So I definitely recommend making a route. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Signalize, a Dazzle for Air podcast. To stay up to date on the podcast and Dazzle for Air, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at D-A-Z-Z-L-E, the number four, rare, R-A-R-E. And finally, if you liked this episode, share it with a friend and tag us on social media platforms.